0: All right. Let's do pray after that this morning, can we? <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you and Lord, I just ask God that today, Lord, as the word is delivered, God that it would you would anoint me, Father God, to deliver your words clearly. Father, with intention, Father, and directness, Father, as you've directed me. Father, I ask that every word that I sow today, Father, would not fall on bad soil, but, God, it would fall into the hearts, God, for you have prepared the hearts of men for this day. God, that it would take root and bring change in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Randy had mentioned 35 years this church has been in existence next week on Mother's Day. Is that not amazing? I think that deserves a hand clap. I think back and I'm like, 35 years, where did time go? Because I remember a five-year-old girl that sat in front of a television watching the 700 Club on some Sunday morning, Monday morning, I don't remember what it was, and he began to give the salvation message. And I didn't know what the salvation message meant, but I knew that he had said there was this man, Jesus, that could come live inside of your heart. And I thought, well, what does that mean? So as any five-year-old does, I went to my mother because mothers know everything, right? In lieu of Mother's Day. Now, I didn't say all mothers know everything, but I said my mother knew everything. So off to the kitchen I went. Mom was standing in the kitchen and I said, Mom, what does it mean to have Jesus live in your heart? Now keep in mind that my mother was a backslidden Church of God holy roller. Those people that wore skirts all the way to their ankles and they weren't allowed to wear makeup. They weren't allowed to wear jewelry. And so my mother wanted nothing to do with that type of religion. So she was on the run from religion but didn't realize that by running from religion she was also running from God. So here this five-year-old girl asks her what it means and she tells me. So I go in the other room and I do exactly what she said. She told me to get on my knees, she told me to pray, she said ask God to forgive you and come live in my heart. So that's exactly what I did and I walked right back out to the kitchen and I said well Jesus is in my heart and she's like okay yeah 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 go play. It was kind of like that. She just kind of ignored me. Well, before she knew it, I had started to witness to people around me. I had started to share that Jesus was living in my heart with her, my dad, and a cleaning lady and a babysitter. Except the cleaning lady that worked for us, my mother and dad both had full-time jobs. My mom was working in a factory and my dad was working in a foundry. So we had a cleaning lady that came one day a week and she cleaned the house so that mom didn't have to. And this lady came to mom and she said, look, you've got to tell that girl to stop telling me that living with my boyfriend is going to send me to hell. And then I need Jesus in my heart. Now, I don't know where a five-year-old girl understood that living with your boyfriend was wrong and that you were going to go to hell. But somehow, when I asked Jesus into my heart, the moral fibers of who I was began to be reidentified. The moral fibers of a five-year-old child began to preach the gospel to people that she didn't even know. But she knew that if this gift was in her heart, that everyone else must need this gift. Why wouldn't you have Jesus live in your heart? Well, about a year later, my mom had been being witnessed to by two or three people at work. But one specifically I remember, and her name was Betty Adkins. And the only reason I remember her is because I would go to her house when her and mom would be talking, and it seemed like every time we were there, my mom was crying talking about her marriage and how it was falling apart and all this. But Betty would play this beautiful music. And I can remember she had kid music, kid Christian music about Jesus. And I just loved it. And I can remember it. But about a year later, she gave her life to Christ. She went to the bathroom, knelt on her knees, and and was led to Jesus. Then, lo and behold, another year comes around. And the guy who was a leader of a motorcycle gang and had been selling women three to four years late, earlier, was now a born-again Christian. Can somebody say, thank God someone shared the gospel. <laughs> my dad came home one day from the foundry, and I remember him saying to mom, this is the way I remember the story. I, wa- I don't remember the story, but it's been told so many times, this is the way I remember it. I quit my job today, Phyllis. And she said, "You, you, you what? Yep, I quit, walked right out of that foundry. I'm not going back. And she said, what were you thinking? He said, God's called me into the ministry. I'm thinking, are you kidding me? My mom was crying. She was not happy about this. This meant bad news that we were going into the ministry. Because my mom's father was a preacher. So she wanted nothing to do with the religion that came from what that meant. Soul by soul, salvation by salvation, transformation by transformation, member by member, you're looking at today. Is that not beautiful? It excites me. How many of you are grateful that someone spoke Jesus to you? How many of you are grateful that you have a beautiful church to come to every Sunday and worship? Do you think that Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to you? I do, too. I do, too. About a month ago, a prophecy came forth in the church. And I was standing over here, and Sister Janice Stearman, longtime member in our church, when I was wee little, I remember Janice. My parents would let me stay with her when they would go out of town. And I went downstairs to tell Janice one day that I needed up a little early than normal for school because they were having something with the cheerleaders and I need to be there early. So I said, Janice, I need you to get me up at 7.15 instead of 7.30 today. And she said, oh, okay. I said, so be sure and set that alarm. And she was working in the kitchen. She said, oh, honey, I don't have an alarm clock. I said, what do you mean you don't have an alarm clock? Oh, I just tell the Holy Spirit what time to get me up and he gets me up and then I get you up. I said, say what? Like, this is really serious, Janice. Like, I have to be at school. Like, I thought she was joking me. She said, honey, don't you worry. I'll get you up on time. And I said, okay. Well, that morning, I, I didn't sleep all night. I'm a, <gasps> <gasps> Because I'm thinking the Holy Spirit's going to mess up. Do you know it was 7.15 on the nose that that woman got me up? So let me tell you something. When Sister Janice was down here giving a prophecy to the Lord, I didn't question that it was on time. I didn't question that it had been brought about by the Holy Spirit. And I surely didn't learn my lesson from the first time. Don't lose any sleep. Don't doubt. Just trust in the Lord. So, without anything else being said, we've pulled the clip of this prophecy because I'd like all of you to hear it today. Billy? And I prayed for about two or three hours. The Holy Spirit showed me that these chairs should not be empty. They don't; they're not to be empty. People, they gotta fast and pray, and don't just take it
1: lightly. Because God's not in these pews being empty. But if you do that, He'll fill this place. And God wants people to come from the north, south, east, and west
0: gone but I thought that was the most important part for me she went on to talk about people that had been offended and left the church and then just talk about how to bring retribution to that that if you're offended you don't leave the church you come to the church and you talk about it but this is God speaking to his church through Janice literally you understand that that's what a prophecy is it's the Lord speaking through somebody to all of us So I thought that it was ironic that he would be telling us that we needed to pray that these pews and these chairs would be filled. And I thought, Lord, why? It's God saying, ignite yourself, activate yourself, do something about the harvest. Get busy about my business and not about your own. So dad said to me the other day, he said, Nicole, I want a light on the top of the church building, like a lighthouse light, and I want this beacon to be. To, to blink, I think it was every second. I don't know what it was, and I said, why? Like, why, Dad? What, what now? What's our newest craze? He said, because X amount of people die every second. And we've got to remember that every time that light blinks, more died. So I went on the internet. You ready? Look at this, Dad would be proud. Two people die every second. Every second, two people. Every minute, 120 people. Every hour, 7,200. And every day, 172,000 people. How many of them do we think went to heaven? How many of them do we know went to hell? See, because it doesn't say that heaven's enlarged every day. It says that the borders of hell are enlarged. I'm here to tell you today that every second there's people dying. Every second we had a chance to save one. Every second we had a chance to make a difference as a church. And that prophecy brought me to a place of ignition. It's not enough that we sit here and just get fed ourselves. We've got to do something more with what we have. Amen. How many of you have heard the vision of the church? Just a hand, show. Okay. So we need to discuss the vision of our church. I'm thinking that a staff member should know the vision of the church. So David, you of all people, you work here every day of the week. You okay? Well, except when you're hiding. I know, I know. We know you're hiding spots. It's okay. If Randy wasn't here, you wouldn't have to hide. Tell me what you think. Mom, why don't you give me a microphone? Tell me what you think the vision of our church is. Okay, now speak in this microphone. All
1: right. Uh, taking the gospel to the world. Okay. About Jesus.
0: That was good, David. You didn't have that message before when I asked no,
1: you. Yes, I, I thought you meant the doctrines of the church.
0: No, not the doctrines. The vision. Here's my point. The vision of our church is making disciples for Jesus. People think that it's. All things are possible to those who believe. No, that's the name of our church. And that's how we got our name. But the vision of this church 35 years ago, 35 years ago, was making disciples for Jesus. That hasn't changed. I've sat in the same pew that you've sat in. I've heard the same message after message after message. I've seen the same growth that you've seen. I've seen the same hurts. I've seen the same discouraged people that you've seen. But I've also forgot some things throughout the years. Today, I want to talk to you about what we as a church may have forgotten. I want you to go to Matthew nine thirty-five through 38. And it says, And Jesus went about, Oh, and today I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Bible because I'm doing a lot of reading and I'm going to be telling a story later. So when I read the story, I want it to be as easy and as simple and as understandable as possible. So it's not the normal thing for me to do, but I'm I'm letting you know in advance. This is Amplified, so it may read a little different. It said, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news, which is the gospel of the kingdom and curing all kinds of disease and every weakness and infirmity. When he saw the throngs, meaning a lot of people, the groups of people, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered, harassed and distressed and dejected and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is indeed plentiful, But the laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to force out and thrust laborers into this harvest. I think Jesus just made a help wanted sign and stuck it out. There is help wanted and I need it. So I'm asking you to pray because obviously I've been here working these fields. But I'm not seeing a whole lot of people help me. So he just pretty much posted a help wanted sign. I want to go back though to the part where it says, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered, harassed, distressed, and dejected. Listen, do you realize that the only way you and I are going to be like Christ is to see the things the way he saw them to feel them the way he felt them and I thought Lord sheep without a shepherd what makes a sheep distressed what causes this problem and why do you feel this need so I've got a video for you to show you exactly what happens when a sheep falls over watch this
1: Lies um, a sheep. We don't know what happens with it. Fell down and cannot get up. We called the shepherd,
0: and he's going to look after it.
1: it just fell down. But maybe it got too wet.
0: That's it! There was nothing wrong with the sheep. Its legs weren't broke. It wasn't sick. It had fallen over. And it couldn't get up. Do you understand that if there hadn't been a shepherd there to just pick it up and put it on its feet that that sheep would have laid there and died? I don't think you understood me. Do you understand what God is saying? Is that when people get hurt, when people get broken, when they get down and out, when they lose their job, when they lose their husband or their spouse, they get down and out and just like a sheep, they fall over. And they just sit there and they cry out for help. But if there's no shepherd, see, they're not in the church crying out for help. They're out there. did did you hear me? The harvest isn't inside the church. The harvest is out there. And the people that know well enough, like the onlooker, the guy with the phone, he knew exactly what to do. I'm going to call the shepherd and he'll go get him and stand him up. And if the shepherd hadn't been on call, whose job is it to go get them? You know what? Sheep have to gather around someone that's broken and start going, "Ah, ah, ah!" and get the shepherd's attention. Someone's got to do something. This sheep would have laid on his back and died, and the other sheep were just lollygagging around, like, ah. "Yep, he's falling over and he can't get up." This brings a whole new level to help. I've fallen and I can't get up. They don't have a buzzer around their neck. But yet we pass these people every single day. We pass them at Walmart. We pass them at the grocery store. And they're distressed and they're vexed. But they're trying so hard to cover it up. When was the last time that you took time? Took time. Instead of leaving at 7.30 because you know you have to be at work at 8.00. How about say, you know what, Lord, today I'm gonna leave at 7.15 because I wanna give you time to show me a distressed, vexed person that I can just turn over and kick on their way. But see, we're so consumed with our own plan, with our own promotion, with our own problems, that the sheep that's laying down on, do you know there was a test? There was a test and you've seen them on Facebook. There's a homeless guy sitting there, and he's got a sign that says, whatever it is, needs money. And there's people that walk by him all day long. They took a child who was freezing on the streets of New York, no coat and no shoes, and stood him next to the homeless guy. Do you know the homeless guy brought in more money than the child that had no shoes and no coats? Because people just kept walking by. Now I get that you think those people with the signs are just lying, and I get that you think they're probably taking you, and there are some that are. I'm not saying that every single person, you have to reach out to that. You need to feel the Lord respond and tell you to go do that. However, in the spirit realm, there are people just like that along our daily lives, everywhere we go, and they just need a little help. But the compassion of Christ said, they're distressed and dejected and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Puts a whole new meaning to sheep without a shepherd, doesn't it? The next time you walk by somebody and you wonder if they're saved, I want you to see them as a sheep.
1: <sighs> uh.
0: Uh. Because if you don't reach out and help them, they're going to die of hunger. You have the spiritual food that they need to get through their day. You have everything that they need in this Bible. But they're so broken and so wounded that they don't know what weighs up. Jesus saw the true need. He saw the true brokenness in everyone that he looked at. We have to look at people differently. We look at somebody that's in poverty. We look at somebody that doesn't have much and we go, well, you, you got a job? Hold up here. You don't know, maybe they can't work. Maybe they can't work. Take all your ideologies that you put in this box and you categorize everybody into. You've got a justification for every person you walk by. You've got a justification for every rich man. Oh, I, he, he looks too dignified for me to talk to. Or, or you see, it, it's a man and you're a woman. And you go, oh, I better not talk to him. I'm a woman that might look wrong. You got to change your thinking. Everyone, everyone you pass is a sheep on their back. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. Okay? Now you're not going to see that old lady anymore, are you? You're going to see the sheep. I like it. All right. So with all that said, I want to tell you a story today out of John, the fourth chapter. It's a rather long story. It's one of the longest conversations recorded in the Gospels. I happen to believe that that's because Jesus was talking to a woman, that it was so long, but I'm not for sure. Not for sure. Not for sure. Randy, you're fortunate you got me and not this woman here because she was very wordy. Now, Jesus was on the move, and he was in Judea. Okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a lot of history about this, because if you don't have history, you're not going to understand it. Jesus was on the move, and some things had gotten back to the Pharisees that a whole lot of people were coming to Jesus. A whole lot of people were being baptized. And so the Lord, looking upon that, said, i got to get Jesus out of there, because he's going to have a confrontation with the Pharisees, but it's too early. We're going to have a confrontation with the Pharisees later. But right now, let's get him out of there and get him down to Galilee. So this is what he says in, this, in the third verse. It said, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. It was necessary for him to go through Samaria. Huh. That kind of struck me as odd. Now, the Lord had led Jesus from Judea to Galilee before, I'm sure. But this time, he said, you're going to go through Samaria it's necessary you go through Samaria why I couldn't let that go why why was it necessary because the Holy Spirit was leading Jesus to a divine appointment the Holy Spirit knew something about Samaria that Jesus needed to do now Jesus and the Samaritans, the Jews and the Samaritans Jesus was a Jew but the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along at all Let's just be honest with you, they didn't worship together. They didn't eat together. In fact, they had such distaste for one another, it kind of reminded me of the uh, Charismatics and the Catholics. Come on, I'm going to preach it. Go ahead. The Baptists and the Lutherans. Or maybe the Christians and the Muslims. Or let me go a step further. Maybe the male and females versus the transgenders. Did you hear me? See, it was, it was, it was bad to eat with those people. No, I, I don't want to sit over there. They're gay. No, I, I'd rather not sit there. I don't want that server serving me. Are you kidding me right now? Because I'm telling you, if you think that type of an attitude, that type of... of of behavior is going to make them feel like Jesus lives in you and they want what you have they just checked them out they don't want anything to do with your God because you just told them that your God I don't sit with gay people I'm preaching right down everyone's aisle trust me there isn't nothing I didn't read here that I had to digest myself before I'm spitting it out to you See, the Samaritans didn't worship like the Jews. They had gotten a little twisted along the way. The Jewish people were trying to do everything exactly to the letter of the law, the way Jesus had told, or the way God had told them through the prophets, this is how you worship, this is how you sacrifice, this is the day you do it, this is who you do it to, everything. But the Samaritans along the way, I'm not going to lie to you, they'd gotten it a little mixed up. They were serving other gods. They were idol worshipers, they were sinful, And they were seen as very unclean people. So the Jewish people didn't want anything to do with them. It was just, I'm going to just stay away from you. Thus the reason that most Jewish people, when traveling to Galilee, would go around Samaria. Six days longer it took them to travel. That's how much distaste they had for Samaritans. And I'm thinking there's a whole lot of water under that bridge. You think not? Yeah. Get this one. This was really good. Samaria was located in Assyria, which is to us today, Syria, which is where ISIS came from. Jesus dealt with ISIS long before we did. He walked with these people. Did you hear me? ISIS needs Jesus just as bad as we do. There's no one too far gone that doesn't need Jesus. But we justify and tell ourselves because they're terrorists, they don't need Jesus. They'll they'll never accept Jesus. Well, you don't know. Jesus prepares the heart of man. How do you know that that man hasn't been fighting before he goes into the city to bomb them for hours with himself, thinking, no, I'm not supposed to do this. Yes, I'm supposed to do this. And one person that walked up to him and said, Jesus loves you and I do too. Would it change the difference? But we're too afraid. We're too afraid if they even look like they're from Assyria. Come on, I, I'm preaching better than your amen in this morning. I'm telling you. I want everyone to say it was necessary to go through Samaria. It was necessary to go through Samaria. It's important. It's an important part. Now, it had been a long journey for Jesus. And he arrives at a well just like you and I would. And his disciples leave to go get some food. So he's just sitting next to the well. I'm sure he's probably thirsty, right? So let's go to the seventh verse. It says, presently... When a woman of Samaria came along to drink water, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone off into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, and a woman, for a drink? For the Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. Okay, now let me talk. Jesus is already, he's seen his divine appointment coming. And he's uncomfortable in Samaria. You think that him as a Jew was actually sitting there waiting for people to like, Hey, how are you, Jesus? No, no, that's not the way this was. Jesus chose to go through Samaria because the Holy Ghost led him to. He didn't go by choice. He chose after the Holy Spirit said, I need you to go there. So trust me, Jesus was a little uncomfortable as he's sitting next to that well and all these Samaritans are walking by him and there he is of Jewish descent. Let me tell you something you know a jew and you know an assyrian when you're like that and she says why would you ask me for water and jesus already starts to break down the barriers break down the barriers you want to know why because jews and samaritans drink after one another he asked her for her drinking vessel get me some water and i'll drink it what hello like alarms going off going off But Jesus chose to continue to put the pressure towards the situation and go, no, 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 no. I'm not going to allow this discrimination. I'm not going to allow this racism. I'm not going to allow this cultural thing right here to stop you from being turned upside down on your feet so that you can go. I see that you're desperate. I see that you need help. I'm going to tell you about someone who can help you. Let alone the fact that she was a woman. Men didn't address women back then if their husband wasn't present. Number two, Jesus was a rabbi. He had been seen teaching in synagogues and preaching around. A man of the cloth never talked to a woman. Only to the man. So she's saying, and I'm a woman. So he's, cro- look, he's crossed the uncleanness route. He showed them that just because I'm clean and you're unclean doesn't mean I can't talk with you. It doesn't mean I can't sup with you. It doesn't mean I can't sit with you. It doesn't mean I can't talk with you. Let alone, you're a woman, I'm a man, that's okay. I'll cross gender too. I'll cross it all. I'll cross religion. And I'll say that you're a Samaritan and I'm you watch. Ha ha! He started slamming it down at the well that fast. He knew what he had come for. He had an appointment and he was about his father's business. He begins to speak with her in terminology about if you drink from the well that I give you out, you'll never, never, never thirst no more. But he who draws from this well will thirst again tomorrow. And she's like, okay. So verse 15 says he, she, he's got her interest because in verse 15 it said, The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. That I may never get thirsty, nor have to come all the way back here again. Now, she's interested, but she don't quite have the whole story. See, she's a woman, and she's got her time. And she's got so much to do during the day, and she's thinking... If this man can give me living water and I don't have to haul it here every day at noontime in the heat of the day and I can get this water free hello I am not doing this no more yeah I'm interested tell me about this living water how can I get it he's got her antennas up so having her attention Jesus says well why don't you go get your husband and bring him here with you so in other words I'm not gonna have this real long, lengthy conversation with you by yourself now. Why don't you go get your husband and bring him too? Ha <laughs> ha. Verse 17. The woman answered, I have no husband. <laughs> Jesus said to her, You spoken truly in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the man that you're now living with is not your husband. In this you have spoken truly. And the woman said to him, sir, I see and understand that you are a prophet. Now, first of all, the woman wasn't quite completely honest with Jesus. Did you see her trying to cover up her sin? She said, well, I don't have a husband. <laughs> you know, like, Yup-y-ay. okay, well, if you didn't have a husband, you'd have been at the well in the morning. Because that's where the girls go to find a husband is in the morning at 8 o'clock. It's a big social event around the well. And if you want a husband or a wife, that's where you go to find a wife was at the well. That was the old time. But she was trying to cover it up so that he couldn't see it. But what did Jesus do? He gently exposed her sin. He didn't say, yeah, I know that. You've got five husbands. You've been sleeping around with everybody in this town. You've got a bad reputation. And everybody knows it. You need to get it right. Drink this living water I got. Boy, that sounds real temptuous right there. I don't know why she didn't come running at that moment. The point is, is that he gently exposes it. He said, that's right. And he reads her mail. He begins to speak to her. Now keep in mind, listen, this woman had fallen. Help, I can't get up written all over her. She's gone through five divorces. Five. Do you identify that a woman could not divorce a man? A man could only put away the woman. She had been rejected five times. She had been done away with and put out five times. She moved her personal belongings five times. I've seen people go through divorce. I've seen them go through one, and I've seen it wreck their world. Five times. Now, we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us whether she was having adultery and that's why she was divorced it doesn't tell us if if her husbands went to war and they died i mean back then they dropped like flies in war all five of her husbands could have been dead from war we don't know but we would have because she was now living with one that she had been a little loose i don't have any proof of that i looked i don't have any proof of that so unless you're there you don't know the point was the sin wasn't the five divorces. The sin was the guy that she was presently living with was not her husband. Even the Samaritans knew that it was wrong to live with a man and not be married. How much security you think this woman had when she came to the well? You think she came to the well? Oh, happy day! It's 12 o'clock in the afternoon. It's blazing hot right here. I'm going to get my well, drink, and then go back home. This isn't Belle and Cinderella. This woman came at noon because she didn't have a relationship with the town. She came, what woman do you know that needs water comes in the middle of the day? The hottest time of the day. One who's ashamed. One who doesn't want to be around the perfect people. She don't have it together. I highly doubt when she came to the well that she looked like that. I bet she had her head down. and was surprised to see Jesus looking at her. And when he looked at her, she probably turned. How many women that you've met that are shamed and that are broken and that are depressed walk around with a smile on their face? This woman needed Jesus. This was her divine appointment. When Christ speaks to her, he tells her, Everything that he sees, and he does it so gently, so full of compassion. He sees a sheep without a shepherd. He sees her on her back wailing for help, and she doesn't even know that she needs him. When he speaks to her and tells her and reads her mail, it clicks. This man isn't ordinary. There's something special about him. But because of her shame, she redirects the conversation. And she goes into talking about, you know, do not know what we are worshiping. You worship this. We worship that. And, you know, you go to the hill, you Jewish. And the Samaritans do this. And Jesus cuts her back down and he says, look, a time will come, however, Indeed, this is 23rd chapter, or 23rd verse. However, indeed, it is already here when the true worshipers will worship in Father, in spirit, and in truth. For the Father is seeking such a people as these, as his worshipers. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And this is what she says. Now listen, she says, this is how she shuts him off. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Samaritans knew that the Messiah was coming. They just weren't worshiping the right way. He who is called the Christ, the anointed one, and when he arrives, he will tell us everything we need to know, and it'll all be all right, and he'll make it clear to us. In other words, yeah, 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 yeah. Everything you said, I get it. And Jesus said to her, "Hmm. I who now speak with you am he. And all of a sudden, the download comes. She gets the living water. She gets the worship experience. She gets that he revealed her sin. She gets that she needs Jesus. And boom, it hits her. What does she do? She leaves her pot. Leaves her pot at the well. And goes back and begins to tell everybody what's just happened. She says, then the woman left her jar and went away to the town. And she began telling the people telling the people sharing the gospel come and see a man who has told me everything everything that i ever did (laughs) can this be the messiah the anointed one so the people left the town to go out to see him now listen you've got a woman who's had five husbands and is living with another man and she runs up to you and says oh my gosh you've got to come see this man Yeah, right, what is this, number seven now? You moved on to the next guy? You already threw that one out of the house? How much worth do you think she had in the town? I don't think she had any. I think every risk that woman ever took was the moment she left her pot and went to tell those about Jesus. She had more to lose then you have to lose. She already had a reputation. Come see this man. Yeah, what man is that? And where's he at? And how long have you been with him? You think there wasn't rejection attached? You think there wasn't judgment attached? And yet she still went. She still went to the city because she believed This guy just read my whole life. And if he can do this, he must be the Messiah. (sighs) Let's go to 30. So the people left the town to set out to go to him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat something. Now remember, the disciples have gone to town to get food. They're hungry from their journey. So they're full, and they've brought the Lord back some food. Here, Jesus, we brought you some food. And he said, he assured them, I have food to eat of which you know nothing and have no idea. What? I I thought you knew we were going to town to get you food. I mean, this is their thought. They're a little confused at this moment because they're like, we went to get food. You said bring you back food. We've brought you food, and now you're saying, You got nourishment we know not of? In fact, they looked to one another. So the disciples said to one another, Has someone else brought him something to eat? Maybe we took too long. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will and the pleasure of him who sent me to accomplish and completely finish this work. Do not, you say, it is still four months until harvest time comes? Look, I tell you, raise your eyes and observe that the fields and see how they are already white for harvesting now he's trying to expose to them a spiritual meaning and all they can think about is someone brought him food and we got back here too late and that's the boss okay like that shouldn't happen but in other words jesus was saying to them don't you understand i've been about the finishing The completing of my Father's work. See, it's not good enough. It's not good enough that I walk like Jesus. It's not good enough that I talk like Jesus. It's good enough and complete and finish when I share Jesus. We want to be like Christ, but we've got to become all like Christ. You don't get a pick and choose. You don't get a pick and choose just kindness and love. Love works on those sheep that are flipped over. Compassion is moved on those people that are flipped over. Compassion goes beyond your own comfort level. Compassion goes beyond rejection of five husbands. You understand what I'm saying? He said, you're worried about food for your earthly satisfaction. But I'm telling you, That earthly satisfaction only lasts for four hours, and you're gonna be hungry again. But doing the work of the Lord never leaves you hungry. There's complete satisfaction. He was trying to get the, the disciples' eyes to come off of the physical things that they were concerned about. So let me put that in today's term your to do list. Should I take this new job or shouldn't I? You know, we need more money. I think this is worth more. I, I, I'm worth about $45,000 a year. You know, and I'm working for this $35,000. Who cares? Who cares? Are you making it? Do you have food in your mouth to eat? Because I'm telling you, there are things of spiritual nature that are way more important, of what size house you live in and what kind of car you drive, and what your clothes look like, and do your kids look perfect. It's not about that. That's all great if you have that, and I'm not griping if you do. I'm glad you do, and I want you to. But if it's at the cost that you're not sharing Jesus because you're so consumed trying to get more, your satisfaction's in the wrong place. Do you see? We have to finish what we started. We started being a Christian. We're walking out our life in our daily life with Jesus. But we've got to complete that which we've started. And what do you think that he was telling the disciples to look at? Do you think there was really a field? There was still four months until the harvest. They weren't looking at sheaves of wheat. They weren't looking at cotton fields that were white. The lady had left Jesus at the well ran back told all the people and the people were coming and he said look look up get your eye off the stupid food you brought me I don't care look they're coming the fields are white with harvest we've got more Jesus to tell we've got more stories to tell we got more hope to breed the harvest is coming But the laborers are few. We're waiting to labor. We're waiting to harvest them here in our worship service. That's not where that happens. The corn doesn't walk to the storehouse. It takes someone to pick it. It takes someone to, whatever that all is, shuck it off and put it in the things. And then it gets put on this big machine and it goes to the granary bins. That's seed for the future. That's more seed, more word, more salvations. More seed, more word, more salvations. Not just the people we know. Not just the people we know. People we don't know. Jesus didn't know this woman at the well. Let's go to Matthew 28, 18 through 28, and I'm wrapping up. It said, Jesus approached, and breaking the silence, he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go then and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days to the close and the consummation of the age, meaning the completion of the age. Keep in mind, before this Three scriptures. Jesus is leaving. I have a feeling that if I was leaving my children and the last thing I told them, don't you think it would be the most important? Don't you think it'd be the one thing I wanted them to be left with? And he tells us, go then. Go then. See, Jesus takes it from, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I'm going to show you how to do it. Now I'm going to charge you to do it and I'm gonna say carry on carry on my business because I got to go but I entrust you with all these sheep that need a shepherd go find them go teach them my ways teach them my commandments look lift up your eyes get it off yourself and put it on the world because they need to be saved see it's necessary It's necessary for you and I to go through Samaria. It's necessary for you to be uncomfortable. It's It's necessary for you to get tired and thirsty, even rejected or discriminated against. But you have to remove the cultural barrier. You have to remove the gender identity barrier. You've got to remove sexual preference. You've got to remove race, religion, money. None of that matters. There's no Jew, no Greek, no Gentile, none of that. You're all the same to Jesus. Don't believe the lie that your mind tells you. They won't hear me, they won't receive from me because I have blonde hair. Oh, quit justifying it. Get the guts, work yourself up and go talk to them. God's prepared the heart of man and chances are that person you're ready to talk to they need a little hope. This church exists because somebody shared Jesus. Every one of us have a story. Every one of us have a testimony. Church, I'm telling you today, listen with your ears wide open. It is necessary for you to go, Billy.
1: Hallelujah. How many believe you're sent? Wasn't that an amazing message? I I feel like as soon as we leave here, I, we need to go find someone to win to Jesus. <laughs> I'm inspired. <laughs> Hallelujah. God is a sending God. He he loved the world so much he gave his son. He sent his son, right? On a rescue mission to make a wrong world right. And, and and Jesus, when he ascended to go back to the Father, what did he do? He sent us he, to pick up the task, to take on the charge, to go into all the nations and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I'm so excited about this. I just, I don't know. I'm ready. I'm ready. So in Luke chapter 10, I was going to read a couple verses and and share with you my heart and pastor's heart and and the vision for this church to be a soul-winning church. Amen? So in Luke chapter 10, in verse 1, it says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also, and he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. I don't know about you, but I believe that Jesus is about to go into every city in Ohio. Amen? And it says this, And then he said to them, picking up on your theme, Pastor Nicole, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice Jesus did not say pray for the harvest. The harvest doesn't need our prayers. They need our obedience. Think about that. The harvest doesn't need our prayers. They need our obedience. And many times we're praying, how many is praying for revival? There should be every hand raised in here, by the way. But uh, I'm pleading and, and, and believing for revival, that God would shake up his church, awaken us up to the harvest fields that are already existent, right? And that is what a revived church does, a church that awakens out of slumber and sleep. We rise to the mission of Jesus, take up the mantle, and carry the cross to, the, to every nook and cranny of our city. And that is what we must be about That is what we must do. Every single person in here reaching one. Amen? Every single one of us reaching one. The harvest is great. And it is time. It's past time. See, I believe real revival will be evident when everyone in here is winning souls. Amen? The spiritual DNA of this church is soul winning. The spiritual DNA of your pastor, the apostle of this house, right, is, is soul winning. It is the vision of the church. Therefore, it's our vision. And, I, and, and the Great Commission is not a good idea. It's not a good suggestion. It is our mission. It is our vision. And I've said this before, but we all miss, must understand that if you want a purpose, if you want a destiny, if you want a, you know, a hope for a future, get on board with the mission of Jesus And share the gospel. It's the the greatest thing anyone could ever give their life to. And then Jesus goes and says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Now, we don't like that part, do we? Because it's scary. It's scary. I was talking to someone the other day and trying to get them to come out with us witnessing. And they said, I'm not good at it. Guess what? No one's good at it. If we were good at it, this church would be full. Right? If we were good at it, the whole city would be saved. If the church in America was good at it, America would be saved. But I believe in pastor's vision that every single soul in Sydney will be saved. In Botkins will be saved. right? In Lima will be saved. Every soul in these cities around this church will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can't think small right we lower the bar so that we can reach it guess what we got to raise the bar and raising that bar means that every single person every member of this church will move beyond a membership to a mission ship that we will move beyond just wanting someone else to go and do it for us we will get on board and go and do it ourselves amen and, and it's, not, it's not a charge or a task to take lightly, and it's not something that we, we must say, you know what, I don't like being told what to do. It's not something we're told to do, it's something we get to do. We get to participate in the harvest of the world. Jesus has called all of us to participate in the God-saving mission. Hallelujah. Isn't that powerful? I didn't mean to come up and preach. Uh, but I, but I'm, I'm here to cast a vision of Pastor's Heart, of what we're doing with the REACH ministry that he brought us up from Florida to do, right? And, and you know what's amazing? We come from Florida, don't know anybody, and we've already led people to Jesus. We're going out and praying and laying hands on people. And that should, that should challenge you and inspire you and also make you jealous, <laughs> right, right, because if we don't know your city, we don't know anybody, and we're doing it, guess what? How much more of an advantage do you have? Right? So the reach ministry that we are launching, and we have launched, but we're going to take it even further. I just want to share the mission of it. And the mission is simple. The mission is to win souls, make disciples, and train leaders. And you got to train leaders so that we can win more souls. Right? and make disciples, and to train leaders. And the mission objective is the Great Commission. It's the text she concluded with. It's the text that is our mission statement in a sense, and that is go, make, baptize, and teach. Right? Win souls, make disciples, train leaders. Go, make. We go. We have to go. That's the first part. The first step in winning souls is going. That's the hardest step, by the way. The hardest thing to do is to get yourself. It's like going to the gym. We, we went Friday with a, with a lot of people, worked out. And guess what? Getting there is not easy. But once you're there, hey, this ain't so bad, right? It's, it's going. We, we have to go, church. We have to go. I don't remember the gentleman's name. He And I don't remember the exact statistic. It just came to my mind. But how many know that there is a threshold that once it's broken, will open the door for everybody? Right, and I think it was the 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 the, what was it, the four minute mile. That story, I love that story. The four minute mile. I shouldn't walk up there before I fall down in front of everybody. But (laughs) the, the the four minute mile. No one had ever broken that. No one had ever accomplished that. Right? How many's heard this story? One guy did, and guess what? Now it's commonplace. Everybody does it. Right? And this church can break that barrier. And in order to go, we need a paradigm shift. That's what we need. The spiritual DNA of this church is intact. It always has been. But it gets covered up and buried in all, all the things that we do, right? And life gets busy. Life gets hectic. We get involved in all kinds of stuff other than winning souls. But in order to have a paradigm shift, we must change the way we think because our thinking produces behaviors behaviors produces habits. But if we really get a paradigm shift in our thinking about going and making and, and, and baptizing and teaching, every single one of us, not the staff, but every one of us, right? Every place you go is a mission field. Every place you go. Every, uh, your job is a mission field, right? Charles Spurgeon said this and. He's, he said, every Christian is a missionary, or else they're an imposter. I believe that, right? So uh, the mission objective is to go. We're going to go into a 30 mile radius. That's my boundaries, I've been pretty much given. But <laughs> a 30 mile radius in every city around this church. Every city, a 30 mile radius we're going to go into. Now, guess what? I'm going to go to every city in a 30 mile radius, but I can't win everybody in a 30 mile radius right? And Jen can't, and I can't, and, the, and, 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 and and we can't, the team that's going out, we can't do it alone. But you guys live in all these cities in a 30-mile radius, right? But together we can go and win souls in every single city in a 30-mile. Imagine what that would do. 10 souls, 20 souls, 30 souls, 100 souls in every single city in a 30-mile radius, but when in souls is enough, we've got to make them into disciples, right? And that is, that is the train, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Fully incorporating them into the church. And that is the task. That's the hard nut to crack. That's what every church faces. It's easy to get people to repeat a prayer. It's a whole nother story to get them in church and becoming a disciple, a sold-out follower of Jesus, Right? that's going to take work. It's going to take effort and prayer. And it's going to take all of us to do that. It's going to take all of us. And Jesus said to teach them to what? Obey. We got a lot of teaching and not a lot of obedience. Most of us know far more than what we're obedient to already. Now you should amen for that. And that's, and that's the sad truth of the church So obedience, every disciple must be an obedient disciple. And an obedient disciple is one who makes other disciples. And we must ask ourselves the hard, challenging questions. Who am I reaching today? Who am I discipling? Who is my Paul? Where is my Timothy? Right? Who is my Paul? Where is my Timothy? So that is our mission objectives. And we're going to be launching here on May 21st on a Sunday morning, 9 o'clock. It's in your bulletin. Luke 10 training. I'm using Luke 10 for the reason that we just read. That's, that's Jesus gathered, called 70 to himself in Luke chapter 10. And we're going to raise up Luke 10 teams that will go into every city in a 30-mile radius around this church. Amen? I, didn't, I don't hear a clap. You know why? Because you know that you're part of those teams. That's, that's, that's why. Because these teams, aren't, they're not just going to be built out of thin air. They're going to be built amongst us. And you may feel, I'm not good at it. I'm not either. I'm intimidated. So am I. I'm scared to death to do it. Right? It's not easy. And if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. But the reality is if we don't do something now, we're going to miss the harvest. Amen? So as we develop these teams and we're going to start the class, it's going to be a training. And after the model, and Pastor Nicole said it, um, Jesus taught he modeled they practiced they shared it is it is it is a way that we must engage and this class is for every single person in here please pray please consider coming it's going to run six weeks and we're going to teach all the various avenues of discipleship and how to win and to create these Luke 10 teams. We already have one going out and they don't know it yet, but everyone in that team is a Luke 10 team leader that will raise up another team. And and this is what we must be doing. If we must have a strategy in place to begin to win this win the harvest, right? And it's going to take all of us together, a Luke 10 team. And I'm, I'm talking about five smooth stones of evangelism, and those are the areas. David chose five smooth stones to take down the giant. Well, there's a giant facing his church. He's out in the parking lot intimidating every one of us. And it, don't witness today. Don't share your faith today. Don't share the gospel today. He's very intimidating. It's going to take five smooth stones to take him down. And those are personal evangelism, servant evangelism, evangelism. Um, Door-to-door evangelism, which is working very well, by the way. Street evangelism and outreach evangelism. And we have many outreaches planned for this summer that you'll be hearing more about. And also our Sydney um, at the, at the, uh, uh, the what is it called? The farmer's market, that's right. Sydney's farmer's market. Thank you, Jen. And uh, and But we have all kinds of things that are happening. And you guys are used to doing all kinds of stuff, right? But guess what? I don't want you to think of it as another event. I'm not up here to give another pep talk or another, another program to add it onto the church. This cannot be program driven. It's got to be. We have to adopt a missionship mentality that we must get on board to win souls. It can't be just another good pep talk. It has to be something we sink our teeth in and say, Lord, I repent of my complacency. I want to get involved and I want to be trained how to be an effective witness in the 21st century. Amen. I'm out of my comfort zone doing this, and so can you be, right? We, we all must get out of our comfort zone to win souls. Jesus went out of his, as, as Pastor Nicole shared. And so these classes will be starting in, in three, sun, or not next Sunday, but the Sunday following on the 21st. And I just want to encourage everyone to get involved. And you're gonna be hearing more. We're gonna have at the at the connect board resources. We're gonna put resources in your hand. And it is the vision that every single member of this church become a soul winner, ablazed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single member. If you're young, don't waste your life. Give him your strength and energy. If you're middle-aged, you don't have any more time to waste. Get in on board, right? You got you got half your life now. Give the rest to Jesus, right? And if you're elderly, the younger need your wisdom. They need they need they need what you know. They need what you have, right? There's a place for every single member in this church to get in board, get on board and get involved. Amen. Jesus gathered his 12, he gathered his 70 and 120 in the upper room, and then 5,000, or 3,000, 5,000, and they turned the world upside down. I want it to be said that this church, Only Believe Ministries in Bakken, Ohio, is turning the world upside down. And it's going to be you and I that are doing it. Amen. There's, I think it's the last slide. Uh another Spurgeon quote. He's my hero, so I'm going to quote him. Uh, He says, we must school and train ourselves to deal personally with the lost. We must not excuse ourselves, but force ourselves to the irksome task until it becomes easy. That's why we're doing the school, to train us, to take the irksome task. I love that because it is. It's scary. It's intimidating. It's, It's Right? It's, it's just something that we don't do because it is uncomfortable. But we can do it enough. You break through the barrier until it becomes easy. Amen? Until it becomes easy. And one more quote from Spurgeon. <laughs> this is what I'll close with. Do you want arguments for soul winning? Look up to heaven and ask yourself how sinners can reach those harps of gold and learn their everlasting song, unless they have someone to tell them of Jesus who is mighty to save. But the best argument of all is to be found in the wounds of Jesus. You want to honor him. You desire to put many crowns on his head. And this you can best do by winning souls for him. These are the spoils that he covets. These are the trophies for which he fights. These are the jewels that shall be his best adornment. Souls. Souls. He who wins souls is wise. Let's be a wise church. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to pray. Let's stand and pray. Oh, Father God, you have not given your church an impossible task because we can't lose. We've already secured the victory in Christ. And every person in here, Lord, has been charged with the same task, and victory is assured. Jesus, you said if we go, you will be with us always to the end of the earth. Father, we know we're going with your approval. We're going with the Son, and we're going with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Send us, Lord. Send us. Let that be your prayer this morning, church. It is imperative that we hear and go, Lord. Send us, O God, as sheep among wolves, as your lamb among wolves. Because we know the world is hostile to those who bear the marks of Christ. But, Lord, we shall bear them, and we shall overcome the world because you have. Hallelujah. Say this with me, church. Lord, I will go. Send me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now let's be obedient disciples. Amen. Dismissed. They see dry bones.